Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. This podcast is for you if you have an insane drive to find the truth of things. It's not the good answers that we seek, but the good questions. I interview a range of different guests from many different fields, all with the intention to uncover the simple truths that are hidden in plain sight. Most people don't want to go there. I go there. My guests go there, and you benefit. Please let me know if you enjoy these episodes, and as always, subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to the podcast. Welcome to the Crazy Wisdom Podcast. My guest today is Nico Sarian. He is a doctoral student in the Department for the Study of Religion at the University of Toronto, uh, and we met each other working at Invisible doing some crazy stuff. Uh, welcome to the show, Nico. Thank you for having me. Great to be here. So can you talk talk more about like what you've studied in the past and how it got you here today? Well, okay. So um, it's a very long story, but uh, I, um, so I initially, so I'll, I'll try and sum it up in like two minutes. I, um, I finished high school. I worked in fashion for about a year, year and a half. Through fashion, I really got into art, into the art world. All of this was in Buenos Aires, Argentina. Um, then I had a sort of a spiritual crisis mm. and I shifted from like, um, let's say the active side of things. So like doing art, working into the contemplative side of things. So I started studying basically, and I studied art history and philosophy. I started two degrees, never finished philosophy because in Argentina, when you're studying a public University takes you about eight years. It's great, but it's like, you know, super long. <laughs> I did finish art history. Then I worked in the art world uh, with artists, uh, galleries, museums. Then I felt I had a um, unfinished, unfinished. I mean, I had a deal with philosophy. So I did a master's in philosophy at King's College in London. I went there because I was interested in Indian philosophy and I wanted to study Sanskrit. Mm. Uh, then I continued working in 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 the art world. I used to work as a curator in, in Moscow in a museum called Garage as an assistant curator. Then uh, I, I religion was always there in the background of especially like my 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 approach to art, like my, all of the problems, all of the questions I had with contemporary art, especially was like linked to absence, lack of meaning. Uh, I mean, not specifically to me, but I feel like there's a problem here, like you know. And I felt that I always referred to a um a uh well this is kind of like my my you know or like origin myths like how I did, did I go into religion I had a, a a meeting with my former boss there who's uh, Kate Fowl she's she's the director at Moment PS One now she was the only foreigner apart from me in the whole museum you know and. I was like, you know, I was pursuing as a career as a curator. I really wanted to be a curator. And like, and I am kind of a, my my way of working is very curatorial, I would say, even like intellectually. Um, and I asked her like, so how do you define a curator? What does a curator do, right? And uh, she, um, so it's like, imagine there's a triangle, she says, right? On one, and there's three things at each end, at each end of the, the triangle, right? There's works of art or objects, there is uh, the public, and then there is uh, space or architecture, no? And um, she's like, she said, 
a curator has to trace all those three lines. If you only do two, you're a critic. If you only do one, you're a, I don't know, you work in a museum, basically. But if you'd like, you know, do the three, you're, you, you can be considered a curator. And I was like, well, a priest does the same thing, you know? <laughs> so, and that, and that tied to like, yeah. And uh, I mean, all of this, like I'm saying all of this in like a very kind of, you know, uh, like I'm not talking about like what I was interested in intellectually. That's a different story. Uh, so yeah, um, I uh, you know I some of my friends had gone into PhDs like philosophy, mostly in Europe. I was I never really wanted to do a PhD, but then a year later I started teaching. I was a lecturer at the. Uh, it's a British college that has a British art college that has a, a location in Moscow. It's called uh, the British Higher School for Art and Design. The the locals call it Britanka. Mm. I used to teach theory, aesthetics, philosophy there. I kind of liked the experience of teaching. And then, like, you know, it popped in my head, okay, like, yeah, maybe, maybe it is a good idea to do a PhD. And I discovered the field of religion, which does not exist in many parts of the world as a kind of like, you know, your secular study of religion which is like what people do here at toronto or well i went to columbia first mm. uh started there got a master's and then i came here uh but it's the same field uh religious studies religion and uh, so that's kind of like a you know the big picture i guess like of my journey uh it is a and there's so much there we could talk about it the most interesting thing i <clears throat> discovered is that you're that you lived in moscow uh, and so like a quick question do you do you, do you speak russian so i i um if you if you drop me in moscow i can like kind of get around uh there's so many rabbit holes here that i'm a bit afraid of what we're <laughs> going to talk about <laughs> uh, and, I, and i don't i uh, i can explain why why i'm interested in that yeah, yeah. Uh, before um, before everything happened with Russia and Ukraine, I, I was very interested in going to Russia to uh, dance my favorite Brazilian dance called Zouk. And for some reason, yeah. it's very, very popular inside of Russia. Um, and so I actually I had been learning Russian before that. And so then but my pl plans on going to Russia changed. Uh, they're still up in there somewhere. But um, but yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, go for it. So to answer your question, I mean, if you drop me in Russia, I can, uh, I can, I mean, in Moscow and St. Petersburg, uh, I don't think if you drop me anywhere else, I would like, you know, be able to manage myself, but, uh, uh, I would get along. I did study Russian for, with like a few professors, huh. but it was like, uh, like my thing was, I mean, I know it was a relationship with the, with, with the Russian girl for like more than five years. So, but my thing was, um, that I felt that if I, if I learned Russian, like fluently, I would become part of the scenery, mm. and I would like my status <laughs> as a as a yeah. foreigner, and like that was kind of like the border that I didn't want to cross because like every time every day I spent in Russia, it's like I mean it was great, but um, I felt like yeah, and this is another planet, man. Like this is not you know that it's kind of like insular in a sense, in a, in a good and a bad way. Uh, yeah. So, um. But yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, it's a beautiful language. Like, I, I love Russia, so. Yeah. It, and we could do a whole podcast on that. But, uh, but yeah. there's so many. I love Russian history. I love uh, uh, studying Saint Petersburg. I love studying what happened to uh, with Peter the Great, and just what a wild, interesting country that is. Um, mm -hmm. But there's some more pressing things that I want to talk to you about, given your yeah. area of study, specifically about. Um, 
I, yeah, the the most interesting thing we're in the WhatsApp group together, uh, and we can talk about that WhatsApp group later about like where people can find it. But the 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 we we're talking about um, astrology and the relationship between astrology and right. astronomy. Uh, and I had seen a Twitter video. I'm not super interested in astrology from a perspective of like I use it a lot in my life, but I love studying it from a f- cultural phenomenon, particularly in the same way that yoga, modern postural yoga has kind of changed a lot and all those different intricacies. If people have been listening to my show, they've heard me talk about this years ago, probably. Um and so astrology has been informed by astronomy. And I had said that, and I said that once once uh, they discovered Pluto, uh, they actually incorporated it into modern uh, 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 astrology. Uh, and mm-hmm. and then you're like, no, not at all. It's not. It's not. It's not. That didn't happen. They just kind of co-opted Pluto because it's not really even a, even a planet. It's like an asteroid. Uh, and and so you had this really interesting take that essentially astrology is modern astrology is like warped in the same way that modern postural yoga has been warped from its original roots, the same way that Zen has been warped, but in ways that no nobody knows about. Um, can you talk yeah. more about this relationship between astrology? Yeah, I think and- I think each each of these let's say um, because really what we're talking about is is the prob- the problem of transmission, transmission and well. Um, oh, what's the term? Syncretism. I mean, but it's not really syncretism that we're talking about. The but I think, I think yoga and and the Zen thing that we can talk about those two. Uh, took me like an hour to explain. Especially the Zen one is is like very. It's very clear. The Zen yeah. one is super clear. Um, what we mean by Zen Buddhism, you know. Uh, for that matter, also like what we mean by Shinto is is an interesting question, but. Um, I think astrology is different. I think the problem with astrology is different than what you're having going on in yoga and and in Zen. Mm. Uh, because I, I like the term warped, but so, okay. I mean, astrology is like an ancient, you know, esoteric uh, uh, tradition uh, art, right? It's an art. It's not a science. And I, I, before the modern period, let's say, before the last, I don't know, I would say 300 years, 400 years, there was no real distinction between astronomy and astrology. Like maybe someone will come and say like, oh, this guy is wrong. Like I'll show you the details. I'm like, you know, this is this is pure doxa. On, on, some, rem- on some regard, I'm being totally doxographic. Uh, but what I, the reason why I said that is because so, um, you know, the sun, the moon, Earth. Well, Earth is like the center, so it doesn't really form part of the of the constellation of the chart. No, the sun, the moon, Mercury, Venus, Mars, Jupiter, and Saturn. Right, the Chaldean order. That has been known for, as far as I understand, two thousand plus years. Mm. You know, and in, in a variety of traditions. So not just like you know your Western Greco Greco Roman, Judaic whatever. Uh, in in if you look at Vedic astrology, as far as I understand, generally they just look at the Chaldean order. So mm-hmm. they just look at what goes on between, let's say, um, yeah, the Sun and 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 Saturn. Saturn being like you know the limits. That that's the whole point. The whole mm-hmm. like, uh, I mean, there is there is a kind of a formal aspect to astrology, which is like Saturn has the the elements it has because it's the limit of what is known. So it's like the, what sets the order. It's 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 you know the limits in that sense. No. Uh, it's what stru- structures things. Uh, uh, but then you, I mean, then you um, get to like the the 19th, like 19th, I think it's 19th century, 
Mm-hmm. Uranus, Neptune is discovered. You know who, like, I'm just going to reference him. Go like, the people that like, I mean, the, he's like kind of a god for astrologies, uh, modern astrologers. Is a guy called Richard Tabnas. Uh, let me double check if it's actually Richard, uh, because I always get the first names. Wrong. Yeah, yeah, Richard Thomas. He wrote a, a a book called Cosmos and Psyche, which I uh, I browsed a little bit. And what he does is he explains the um, the the historical context. He does like historical astrology, like he explains like the discovery of that's interesting. Blue- in the in the historical context where it's happening, the That's same thing with Uranus, the same thing with Neptune, right? So, um, and he also like you know when you read if you grab Cosmos and Sique, um he like show I don't know Nietzsche's or I don't know uh, like I think it was uh, Kurt Cobain's natal chart, and he'd explain like these more structural things that are going on, not this like person, because there's a thing called uh, uh, modern uh, personality-based astrology. Interesting. This is more like what's going on, you know, uh, in the transits and everything. And um, But to get to my point, uh, what I was pointing out at the, um, why did I say this? There's a guy called, uh, he's very obscure. I'm not espousing him or anything. I, I um I think he's a very interesting character. His name is John Michael Greer. Uh, he's a very prolific writer who lives in, I think, in Massachusetts, I think in Rhode Island. Mm. And the guy's a druid. Mm. And and he's a, a kind of a um, esotericist. He loves Lovecraft. Like, there's a very interesting mix going on. He's a huge critique of, of, of modernity. And, like, you know, he's a kind of a reactionary. Yeah. And... <laughs> He wrote a book on, and I thought it was a very interesting thesis that if planets get, you know, um, let's say upgraded, so you have something called the planet, no? So Pluto, we discovered Pluto, oh, Pluto is a planet. So it gets upgraded to a planet, no? So then it pops into the realm of astrology. So people start using Pluto uh, to to discuss certain things, no? But then Pluto gets denoted to, to, to an, an asteroid, Right. So his thing is like, okay, if we are upgrading, why aren't we denoting also? <laughs> demoting, sorry, demoting. Yeah. Uh, and with a kind of a more radic, I mean, it's not that simple. It's like he's actually more radical. He says like, well, actually what Pluto represents, no, in a natal chart as an energy, because, you know, Pluto is um, revolutions, chaos, like the mm-hmm. depths that are being, like, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, the... Um, the Redentor, in a sense, no, it breaks everything to like create something new, no, uh, crisis and all this stuff. What he's what Greer says is that that capacity, that element of life, let's say that particularity of, of the chart, has lost its bearing on the contemporary subject. So, being that like all everything that Pluto represents is not a big deal anymore, hmm. and I'm like summing up like the whole thing. Uh, yeah, well, and that that because it it's in, it's it's something I've been thinking a lot about because there's also something called the fourth turning, uh, which I'm I'm sure my audience is familiar with. Uh, and from my understanding, and th- this is just intuition, I didn't actually research this, but it feels like the fourth turning is a 
academic version of astrology with no references to planets, but it says like we're, we're in cycles uh, and there's there in, in American history and we've got 80 year cycles and such. And I've been thinking a lot about this, the, what, what it means to be in the fourth turning. Uh, and we could have a conversation about like, what are all these things doing? Like what is Australia astrology doing for us? But what is do academia doing for us? What is Zen doing for us? But particularly like what, what, well, like we put ourselves in these cycles and the cycle that we're in right now, everybody's saying, okay, well, we're in that destruction phase, and and we've had these. You events. mean like the Kali Yuga? Yeah, well, that well, that's another okay. one. But 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 okay. and, and and this fourth turning, it feels like you're familiar with the fourth turning, right? Like no, no, oh. no. But I can picture kind of like I I know. Um, so in terms of like philosophies of time, philosophies of history, there is I know a few references that use the quaternary division mm-hmm. of of stages. The, the Indian one, Oswald Spengler, the the kind of the West, like it's the seasons, you know. Mm-hmm. It's like it's that it's the seasons. Yes. You know? yes. And so, so and so the fourth turning is like an American one. Basically, every eighty years, America goes through a crisis. The U.S. goes through a crisis, and so uh, the last one we were in was World War II, and we're set for a crisis. And two thousand eleven, two thousand one, you know, September eleventh, two thousand one started. Right. Two thousand eight is like the clear we're in that. And now we're really, really in it, and and they either say that we're we're something big is going to happen again, or or that we're already through it. Maybe COVID was it, but essentially, okay. like like, and now we're set the stage for whatever. And the Civil War was another one. Uh, and why was I talking about this? I was talking about this because of, um, you said Pluto gets upgraded a planet, pops into astrology. Oh yeah, and you said that essentially Pluto represents this thing that's no longer a large problem. Um, and I've been thinking about or, it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Let, let me just be clear about what I mean there. It's not so much that um, it's so what, I think what Greer means is that everything that Pluto represents um, d- is not uh, it's not re- it doesn't it doesn't inf- like inflect someone's life or it's not relevant anymore. And And I kind of get it because. Nobody wants to deal with anything that Pluto represents anymore, you know. <laughs> it, well, and, that's uh, what I, and that's what I'm saying is that yeah. essentially, like, we're modernity is still here. Like all this crazy stuff, stuff that's happened. Like all, and and you know, so many people go into this this state of mind that everything is going to come to a complete end, and we're going to lose modernity because modernity is so great. But then you know, there's other aspects yeah. of that too, which is that modernity isn't so great, and it's sort of like a Kafkaesque nightmare. Uh, depending mm-hmm. on how you look at it, but we have food, we have all our food, um, you know, like we have access to all these things that like a king wouldn't have access to like 400 years ago. And so like life is both great and it's also strange and dis, um, dis- uh, ambiguous and disconnected and disassociative. And there's all these different elements going into it. But essentially, like, even if we're in this fourth turning, even if we're in this Kali Yuga, like things like even though we might be in a recession like we don't even know if we're in a recession right now like a lot of people say we're in a recession and it's just like all these crazy things are coming together but at the same time we haven't lost any sort of like any access to all these amazing technological wonders and i i'm not really getting my point across clearly but what do you have do you have anything to say about it no i was i had like a bunch of criticisms to everything you just said go for it. But like... yeah, yeah go for it because like my my take on all of this, like, and this is from, I mean, you could call it academic, but it's more of like just a critical mindset after having read so much and have studied so much, is that the kind of the hindsight of this or like your um, 
the depth, the deep point of view towards all of this is not so much, oh, well, I think there's levels. So you can get to one level and say, like, people believe in progress. Okay, what do you mean by progress? Like, who, where does that come from? How do we know, you know, that we're better off today than we were 2,000 years ago? And that's a very simple way to criticize that. My thing is more like, how do we know we're modern? Hmm. Like, how are we modern? Like, mm. uh, there's a guy, uh, Bruno Latour, who was a philosopher that passed away, I think, last year. He wrote a very famous um, very famous book called uh, We Have Never Been Modern. Mm. Uh, um, I mean, to sum it up, I would say the following. Um, how do we know that rationality is not just one more myth? Um, yeah. and, and, and there's people who have, like, wrote, written about this, like, very seriously, like, because what happens in the Enlightenment, like, people say, oh, we have the Enlightenment, you know, separation of the church and the state, like, it's a Western discourse, whatever, but, like, in order for you to, like, you know, um, get rid of myth and superstition and all of these things that people supposedly do not like, you need to create a new myth. And that, but that's, and, and that's where we are and essentially, cause we've, cause now the myth is sort of like a, a, a it's a secular myth and it's a science myth. They've turned, right. I mean, this into, is, yeah, this is like, if you ask me like, what's, so I've had this conversation a lot, lots of times with, with because like when you study religion, you know, academically in, from, in a secular institution, mm. I have this, this happens all of the time to me and I hate it and I love it at the same time. I tell people, oh, what do you do? Well, I, I am a PhD in what? I don't say in what, because if I say religion, it opens up a can of worms. <laughs> yeah. And and it's it's a beautiful experience, but it's also very tiring because um, people, I mean, religion is a real thing. It's not something you kind of like, or kind of objectify and study it. I don't do that. Like, that's not what I do. It's not a discipline. It's a field, you know? So um, where am I going with all of this? So... What we discuss in uh, an academic secular department, what's the problem of religion or what's like the kind of the the, the quid pro quo right now is not what people think about religion. Mm. What we think about religion, I mean, not personally me, but I'm just like exposing what's like the, the, the intellectual milieu uh, to a certain degree is... Um, when, when, when did religion start? Mm. People... And this this is like goes back to the whole yoga and astrology thing, but in a different ways. Well, if you ask like some of the people who are working with this, like, well, religion is two hundred years old. Two hundred years, interesting. Yeah, as a as a as an as, ability as to a, study it rather as than the, thing, the water that we're drinking. exactly as as yeah. a, as, a, as, a, as a kind of an autonomous modern like you know uh, field. I mean, there's a variety of ways to explain this, but all of this has to do with something called secularization. Mm. There's a guy I I used to hate him. I used to hate reading him just because he would like jam it up up, up your library. Yeah, uh, Talal Asad. He has a uh, he's a an anthropologist of religion, and he works on 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 the secular, on the myth of the secular. And he's like he has a very famous line that goes, uh, "Religion and the secular are two Siamese twins." Yeah. Well, yeah, because because secularism probably started the same time that religion as a, as a yeah. thing, because but you couldn't be I secular mean, before. Like secularism didn't exist. Right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I think that like I mean I have a way of like looking at this that um, 
this is like going back to the thing of when people ask me, like when I when they when they find out that I'm doing a PhD in religion, and normally there's two questions I get asked. One is, um, are you religious? <laughs> Terrible question. <laughs> It's like, you know, like, uh, it's like there's someone doing a PhD in economy and like, it's like, so. Um, Are you an economic you believe- agent? No, no, no. Do you yeah. believe in the economy? <laughs> like- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's not the point. But and then the other one is, do you believe in God? You know, mm-hmm. like if it's a more. Uh, and um, I I cannot answer that. question. I cannot give them a straight answer because like, you know, uh, for me, uh, what you understand by religion is not what I do. You know, I do get what they talk about. Of course, it's not very difficult, but like I actually had this talk yesterday with a friend um, who was, um, I told her I was going to do this, so she might watch it. And, uh, <laughs> uh, and um, she asked me uh, if I believed in God, you know, uh, and I was like, well, it depends on what you mean by belief and what you mean by God. But at the end of the day, I don't think it really matters. <laughs> it matters if you believe in God or anything. Uh yeah, it's kind of My, like a, um, it's like a, a silly question because the it goes. I mean, for because I, I I understand you in that dilemma because whenever it gets to that range of conversation, you're starting to use words, and words don't even get close to anything approximating the experience of God or the experience of being or the experience of all those different things. So it's like yeah. it's like a, a useless conversation that gets us nowhere, basically. Unless unless somebody's in that seeking stage and they're looking for answers right. and kind of point them back to themselves and stuff, but yeah, my my um, I the way I used to answer like deal with this these questions was more like, um, it's not up to you, like it's not up to you if you're religious or or not, but more so it doesn't matter because there is no such thing as the secular. Um. Religion is not merely about believing and being convinced about something or not, you know. There is a pietistic, there is a piety in religion that is, that I don't believe that a lot of people, I mean, this is just my personal opinion, but I do not believe that most people are pious. Even people who are religious, I don't Mm. believe that they're actually pious. I think in order to be pious, you really have to feel like the suffering of the world, you Mm. know. Otherwise, why would you even bother, you know. Um, but um, what I used to say is, well, at the end of the day, it doesn't really matter because we're all Protestants and masochists. Uh, and that in itself is like, is a thing. I mean, religion is about how you eat. It's about how you live. It's about uh, diet comes mm-hmm. from religion. You know, like the way you spend money, it comes from the religion. The way you um, work comes from, re- I mean, and I'm not like saying, hey, you should all guys go study religion. That's not what I'm saying. But uh, because again, religion is is as I said before is is two hundred years old as a, as a field, no, as a. Um, but uh, yeah, it's much more. I mean, when you talk to me, it's like a much more complicated uh, problem. I would so say. I've got a question for this because you said something very interesting, and I've heard uh, themes of it before. Is that we are all Protestants, and so it may, and, and religion's only two hundred years old. Does are you saying that basically globalization is Protestantism? So um, there is a few people who have uh, like wrote, I'm mean, written about this, like I'm not, I'm not talking contemporary, like someone like Max Weber, mm-hmm. uh, Stirner, um, 
what I mean is, and now you have someone like Charles Taylor writing the age of the Sec- the age of the secular, which is like very popular. He's just doing, in my opinion, he's just doing what Baber did like 120 something years ago. Uh, but the idea is the following: is um, Protestantism is uh, is secular. That's the the main idea. Like Protestantism, like the way that people. I mean, Protestant, the Protestant Reformation uh, ends up in the secular. It's not that we are atheists now and Christianity. Like, like you get all of that through the Protestant Reformation. Uh, and people like, um, I mean, they're super, the four, have you heard of the four horsemen of the apocalypse? Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it's, I mean, I'm, I'm going to get a lot of shit, but I think it's, I think they're dumb. Uh, like it's, <laughs> Uh, but um, yeah, it's like th- that's just more Protestant. That's just more Protestant. More yeah. Protestantism. You no, know? well, that's the yeah. It, it, <laughs> so uh, one of my favorite guests that I found on the show, Marco Fusho. He's an entrepreneur. Uh, very interesting. If I, 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 the archive of my episodes now disappears from iTunes and Spotify, so you actually have to go to my crazywisdom.libsyn.com uh, page and go back and search for it. But uh, it's a Marco Fuchsia and he, I reconnected him with it a couple months ago and he sent me this long, just diatribe about one of my podcast episodes with somebody who's uh, a heavy hitter in the, in the, uh, in the LLM space, but we couldn't actually talk about what he was doing because his company is very secretive. So we couldn't actually talk about it. So we ended up talking about the enlightenment on, on this podcast. Mm-hmm. And then my friend Marco comes back and he's like, that was a ridiculous episode. You're so wrong. Let me tell you about how you're wrong. Uh, 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 the the Italians created the Enlightenment. We never lost it. The Romans were always there. They're like it was just a continuation. And then the Germans came in and they they created this whole new religion, Protestantism, and they declared we are the one true religion. Everything else is barbaric, which is really funny because the Germans were the barbarians, uh, and and they were barbarians up until the 1900s or whatever, and then and then mm-hmm. they, so it's all it's all just this like crazy thing, and so it fits with what you're saying about this secularism has just become another religion based off of this crazy Protestantism, which has claimed the Enlightenment space basically. I, I would even I would even say that like if I had to synthesize what the Protestant, I mean there's there is reformations in all religions, by the mm-hmm. way, it's not just that Protestantism is a thing like. Even in the ancient Greek religion, there is moments for like I, I studied this. Like in the cult of Dionysus, there is a kind of reformation at one point, which is similar. I mean, not similar, but like there is this kind of more. My my synthesis of all of this is like what the Protestant Reformation does. It takes it's try it tries to take away mediation. Mm. So your relationship with with God is is immediate. Like it should be immediate. Chan and Zen Buddhism has something of that. It's like get out the get the ritual out, get the scripture out, get everything out, get the priest out, get the economy of the church out. Like it should be a just the text. I mean, if you're a Lutheran, it's just the text, no? Yeah. Uh, the thing is, when you get to Calvinism, it it, it everything becomes very crazy because uh, usury is not is not considered a sin anymore. So, like, I mean. Usury, no, but you cannot spend your money, but you can like st- you know, tra- you know, um, uh, you can save, save up. Yeah, exactly. So it 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 takes a twist, but uh, um, what I would say is like the synthesis is that, um, in religion, quote unquote religion, 
there is a lot of them that try and get rid of the mediation with the divine. Uh, and from my experience, there is no such thing as immediate, like as an unmediated relationship with anything. Like everything, yeah. And that's like a philosophical discussion. Well, but uh, we can go there because yeah. this many times this show has devolved into philosophical discussions that yeah. uh, get very abstract. But it, it, like what I take from what you just said is that no matter what everything we're experiences is mediated through a person through through the self basically i wouldn't even like it's i wouldn't even go so ontological on this what i mean is that uh i used to like i i i really like um like i think for me the perhaps the most important philosopher for me not because i like him just because i read him and studied him and i thought like this is a pinnacle is uh Schelling. Mm. uh like was an associate. Uh, Schelling, uh, S, uh, S C, sorry, H E, double L I N G. Um, he was a, a, a so he was a an associate of Hegel, and then they broke off. And there's a there's a way of like it's kind of like it's German idealism at its like as its high at its highest point. Like that sort of discussions. Um, why am I mentioning Schelling? Because the whole point of Schelling, and, and I, I think if you want to talk about mediation and in mediation and all of these things, um, the best way to do it is to talk about nothing, the idea of nothing, because, mm -hmm. you know, there is nothing there. So who's that going to mediate, like, you know, the, the absence, no? And um, when you say something like, oh, um, there is no truth, no? Truth doesn't exist. And this is analytic philosophy has done this very well. Well, well, is that a truthful statement? Yes. <laughs> so, so, so you know, it's that's the it's the whole problem. Um, do you do you, do you get what I mean by this? Yes, it's yes, like, yeah, absolutely, yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. You cannot get out of the wheel by uh, just saying, "Oh, we're not going to use this anymore," or "We're not." It's like it's a structure yeah. of. Uh, um, this ties into our, our our whole conversation is coming back to the thing, which is basically what I'm saying, what, which I'm about to say as well, is that n nothing is new. Everything has been done before. There are new ways to say this, these things that have been done before, and that whatever we think that we're experiencing is something novel or unique is something that's like been around before. In this case, yeah, it's kind I of mean, like Protestantism, but yeah. And I really want to get I, to I, about I, Zen as well. It's it's very it's very easy to like fall fall into some sort of postmodern like critique here, you know, of like oh, there's nothing, you know, there's no, there's no ma major narratives. We're just like repeating and like iterating what's what's already. My, my again, my problem there, and this is why I can be so annoying, is that well, but that's also a narrative. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, so. Uh, <laughs> Well, and this is so interesting because I grew up in postmodernism, and so I'm like, yeah. I'm very much. Uh, that's where the where it goes. It always goes back to postmodernism because it so influenced my childhood, and it was so early on that I experienced these kind of things. And that narrative is is yes, there's a narrative, but it's an empty narrative, and that's why we should all be nihilist, and that's why we should all like like the only thing we have is the human. There is no religion. There is no god. Like uh, it is. But just that in itself is a narrative. You see what I mean? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. It's like so um, I I kind of this was I it got, took me a few years to like get to this point, but like if you're trying to nihilate everything, no, like kind of say there is no values, nothing. Not because I was like depressed or anything. It's just like you know when you I don't know study philosophy, you you deal with that. But if you the point is not that the point is that nihilism 
is is stupid, uh, is is incoherent because there is no such thing as not not willing. You know, this is what Nietzsche talks about in the genealogy of morals and stuff. Is that that saying that say, to say that there is nothing is to say that there is that's a truthful proposition. So you're actually saying something that there is something you call nothing. Mm. So you did not escape. You know, it's a kind of a, a bad conscious, a bad infinite in a sense. This is what Hegel talks about. But so my point is that if you just, I think that like someone who's a Lacanian psychoanalyst would love this, would say like, just do it, you know, just go ahead and do it. And because there is no escape from from desire and all of these things, you know. I'm sorry, I just like, went like overboard but uh uh i think well because well, it, it, and it goes back and, I, and this is seems like a clear direction into the zen chan chan buddhism and how that kind of changed mm-hmm. as well because um uh that kind of just do it like well no i'm gonna butcher it if i try to do that can you can, let's let's talk about zen and how uh how it like what why are you so yeah. focused on zen as this particular thing no so yeah i'll make it i'll make this fun so when i was um when i was at sunny at columbia i uh had a professor called bernard four uh french uh specialist in chan and zen buddhism and fascinating guy super super nice person nice french old school french uh he actually hosted foucault uh, in in France, when when Foucault went to France in the seventies, sorry, sorry in Japan, when Japan yeah. went uh, when Foucault went to Japan in the seventies, um, and his whole, so he had studied with a guy called Keiji Nishitani. Keiji Nishitani was a one of the members of the Kyoto School. Have you heard mm, of the Kyoto yes. School? Yeah, yeah. Mm, the Kyoto yes. School of Philosophy. Yeah. So these guys, they were studying Hegel, Heidegger, yeah. like basically, like. Early twentieth century, well, what did what's called continental philosophy today, uh, or what has been called that, um, for in in Japan. But they were trying to mix it with Zen, <laughs> and then Suzuki, D.T. Mm-hmm. Suzuki, yep. is a is the periphery of that whole thing, uh, in a more like I would say pastoral. Because D.T. So D- is the one who who took it to the U.S. Right. Yeah, so um, these guys were philosophers, and they were doing work on where they were trying to establish a conversation between Zen and 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 Western philosophy. But really, what they were doing, me and and there's a guy called Tanabe that um and and for Four's whole thing, Bernard Four's going back to Four, is partly this. He calls it a reverse Orientalism, where. What is Orientalism? Oh, like yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, like the Japan or whatever, like everything that's you know um, Mediterranean towards the east is is the Orient, and it represents a bunch of things, good and bad, like you know, barbarism, but also like exotic, you know, wisdom, uh, the true meaning of life, all of this stuff. No, they know it better. Like we we got too caught up in in modernity and like you know Very working and Western yeah. ethic. Yeah. You know, they know what they're doing. Uh, well, what what four does is like for the the Zen um, case study to put it to put it in, in those terms, is he says like no, you also have this in Japan because like the Kyoto School they went to like some some of them went to yeah. Germany to study under Heidegger and Husserl, and then they came back and they 
let's say, reinterpreted or like re, uh, re-estheticized what we come to know as Zen Buddhism. Yeah, the second part of his critique or his thing is that actually Zen is a kind of a brand name, no? But and nobody talks about Chan because Chan is Chinese. It's not Japanese. Uh, but the roots of Zen are actually in China, not in, in Japan. And there's an, and the third part is a, there's a nationalist mm. thing going on, going on there as well of making... In Shinto, it's much more clear than in Zen. But there is this narrative that is being made, this aesthetic... That uh, you know is politically orientated, like as state state interest or whatever. I'm not saying, but don't get me wrong. I'm not saying that that is bad. That doing that is bad. I'm just saying that what is kind of la- I would say lame because I'm at the, at heart I'm kind of a I I'm an aesthete. Like my thing is taste. I prefer taste over intelligence. Good taste over over intelligence. I think that. It's lame to think to like, you know, think that, oh, you're engaging in Zen Buddhism and it's like, you know, thousand year old. And it's like, dude, like it's been created like 40 years ago, you know, like it's cheap, you know, <laughs> yeah. you should like go get the real stuff. You know, that that's that's kind of my point. Uh... <laughs> and it, and it's, it's a good point and I agree with it. And it, the same thing happened to me with modern postural yoga. I had really fallen into the whole thing that this is real and that this is a, a, a long historical mm-hmm. practice. And then I found out about Madame Blavatsky and and all this crazy stuff and the occults and, and the spiritualism and how much that had influenced the the nationalist movement in India. Yeah. And how it all, all changed it. Uh, but it also makes me think about just like there's this almost like a singularity or a black hole that maybe there's just so much information that humans at an individual and a collective level, there's so much information that we need to synthesize. And there's so much happening in each moment that basically, mm-hmm. even as a society, we go through these crazy changes, but we can't actually understand all those changes with our conscious mind. So we create these thin little stories that try to explain everything, but they can't mm-hmm. explain it. And like, it takes years and years and years of study just to realize that you have no fucking clue and that you're never going to have right. it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean that's. Uh, I mean that's my. I guess everybody's problem, right? Like uh, the lack of orientation, and then people say the lack of meaning. And when I'm when I hear that word, I'm like, well, you know what? That's a Protestant thing. <laughs> so, meaning. so uh, meaning is a problem. Protestant. Yeah, the church having an authentic life, you know, meaning all of these things. It's it's it it is a byproduct of the Protestant thing. Um, I'm. I'm I'm being very very blunt in saying this, but of course, like you want meaning, but and all of this stuff. But what I mean is, like me, I mean, if I speak about myself, I'm not looking for meaning. Mm. I'm looking for peace. <laughs> like like everything, there is too much going on. You know, I want less. Like I want like uh, um, I don't I don't. You know, a lot of people today just want mm-hmm. freedom. Yes, and, yeah, I'm, and my thing is like, but what what what's constricting you? Like, freedom is a condition; you cannot escape freedom. If anything, you should want necessity. <laughs> I mean, I would love for like I don't know God or whatever to you know have an apparition here. It's like okay, this is the way it is, you know. Yeah, who, yeah. who don't want like that? <laughs> certainty, <laughs> certainty. Well, that's, a, that's a quite an interesting avenue as well. I don't think we'll have time for it, but but the the search yeah. for certainty and like how you're definitely not going to get it with the intellect because the intellect just brings you into like, 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 I I think, I I think like, and this is purely personal. I think that we don't understand suffering. Mm. 
Mm-hmm. I don't. We don't understand pain more, mm-hmm. more than suffering. I would say. Uh, and what's the point of pain? Because most of us just like run away from pain and suffering. We just want to get rid of it. And I think there's something there. Uh, there is something there. I think because, you know, I hit you in the face. There is no. There is no question. It hurts. You know. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and that's not questionable. Like it actually hurts. So I think there is something there. Uh, but yeah, I, I diverged. Uh, so, from so for the last five, five to seven minutes, uh, let's talk about peace. Cause you had mentioned freedom. You had yeah. mentioned most people are looking for meaning. Meaning doesn't really do it. Freedom doesn't really do it. Cause who's like, who's, who's, who's not free. Like what we're like yeah. all around you, but then what is peace? And does anybody yeah. study peace? So um, yeah, ex- exactly. So I-, I could apply my whole method to peace again, you know, like say, okay, what do I mean by peace? Where, do- where does peace come from, uh, and all of this? But I think what I what I mean is is more connected to the to the suffering thing. It's um, uh, because I-, I I'm saying this, but I'm also using myself as as a bait for 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 the problem. So. Mm-hmm. Um, People are want to. I I think suffering some is not the problem. The problem is uh, not knowing why you suffer or mm. like suffering for no sense with no sense. There is no sense, and that in a sense ties Back to the meaning, meaning right. thing a yeah. little bit because meaning is really about orientation. No, uh, so yeah, I guess we're fucked. You know, like uh, that's. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, uh, interesting. Because yeah. <laughs> what? Well, so very interesting point. Essentially, what is the relationship between peace and suffering? Because you can only really get mm-hmm. to peace once you've suffered enough to maybe to 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 understand the root of suffering, maybe, and then and then and then be able to you know the 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 what do you call it? the cliche is that you can separate pain right. from suffering. I, to go back to like something that people like to talk about a lot of the the four noble truths, right? The first noble of the Buddha, no? The first noble truth is there is suffering. That's the first one, you know? Like, <laughs> that's the first conclusion. <laughs> so, and you know what's interesting? So, I mean, I, I've studied Sanskrit for three years, no? And I did a lot of Indian philosophy and um, dukkha, no? Which is the mm, term for yeah, Sanskrit, yeah. term for suffering. Um so Sanskrit is very interesting because all of the nominals, all of the the, what, the words, the nouns, they're they are derived normally from verbal roots, uh. which become like declined, and you get verbs and you get nominals. Uh, the interesting thing about dukkha is that it's a very weird one. Like nobody like has. I mean, there has been like approximations to this, but it it doesn't. It's a very you cannot the the etymology is extremely strange. Um, I and we can talk about this another time, but uh, and I and I can do a little bit of a prep for this. Well, but, uh, I think I, I, way yeah, to get to the point. I would love. I would if you could get to this point for the last few minutes. I would love to understand like what are the takeaways that from the etymology from studying from studying dukkha in Sanskrit, like what separates dukkha from other words, if you can kind of synthesize it. So, so what what I would say and like to sum up everything we we like been talking about. I would say that there is a way to see that what you see. Sorry, let me let me reframe that. There is a way to see that what you see is a problem mm. is actually not a problem. Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
and I think that's kind of the way it it you know that and there's that and that's a practice you know uh and and like when you study when you're like yeah, the duka thing it's like well what what language or what, what are these ideas who gave me these ideas you know where do they come from uh that is like that is an alchemy in itself in itself i think uh a metanoia you know change of mind interesting um yeah next time we'll talk about alchemy because i would love to hear where that comes in and also go back to the astrology question as well uh yes. so much this uh, you definitely have crazy wisdom uh and all yeah <laughs> I, would to, I would love to understand the your understanding of divine madness as well i think i saw you use the word divine madness i i, I once I, I once went on a fishing trip with a uh, with a uh, religious studies, some guy who was doing religious studies was a professor in religious studies, and it was fascinating because he gave me this this tidbit. I had told him that my my podcast was called Crazy Wisdom, and he said, "Oh, well, we have that in the Western tradition as well. Uh, it's called Divine Madness." And the most interesting mm -hmm. thing about him was that he was a he was studying religion, and he was also the driest, most like like had no spark of life whatsoever it was fascinating because like if you can study religion how can you be that way is that normal is that, like because it doesn't yeah, feel i would like say that, that yeah. uh, there's a lot of people it's it's a weird field there's a lot of people uh who come from different backgrounds um i'm certainly not that like that's not the reason why i started doing these things but after you like you know go down that road you you see lots of things you read lots of text and you're you're easily surprised. I'm sorry, you're not easily surprised uh by by a lot of things. So yeah. you can become a little bit dry, I would say. Yeah. Interesting. Yeah. Well, thank you so so much for coming on Crazy Wisdom. Um and uh if you're working on anything particular, maybe even those WhatsApp groups, we could share a little bit about what's going on there. What's what's going on with these WhatsApp WhatsApp groups you guys are creating? So um we're basically creating a structure right now for will be kind of an infinite discussion board incorporating AI and incorporating, I mean, a lot of the, everything that we talked about, I didn't reference a lot, but imagine like just dealing with the reference of, of what, of, of the, the source, not the reference. Uh, yeah. It's to like foster and create a kind of a symbolic capital around all of these things uh, through disc discussion groups, reading groups, all, Done on WhatsApp on different you know uh, areas. That's kind of like my my two cents in in a, in a minute of the whole thing. <laughs> cool. And uh, if uh, and if that was interesting, you reach out to me or Nico to find out more about these WhatsApp groups. Um, and everybody knows where they can reach me. Um, and uh, Nico, well, how how about you? Where can people find you? If you're um, so, um, <laughs> they can they can email me. Like I mean, I um. You can email me at you can find my my faculty like my profile in the faculty of the DSR. Otherwise, email, Instagram, LinkedIn, everything is good. Yeah. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah. Cool. Thank you, Nico. Thank you. Thank you for listening. And I hope you enjoyed this episode. As always, you can find me on Twitter at Stuart Alsop III. Also, don't forget to subscribe on Spotify or iTunes for every weekly episode that I publish on Monday mornings. Hope you have a great day.